body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just bless the Lord. Hallelujah. It's truly an honor to stand here this morning before you to share with you the word of God. We thank the Lord for the studio audience that is here with us today. Hallelujah. A lot of things have been going on in the background. We've been making a lot of progress, uh, getting uh, even more equipment in line and in place so that we can transition from just giving the word of God to offering you a opportunity to join with us in praise and worship as well. So be looking for that to come soon. We're putting things in place and getting things set up just for that purpose. We're still waiting for some equipment to get to us, but we will have things in place. And here soon, when you tune in, you'll be able to sing and to dance and to just praise and worship God with some dynamic and anointed singers and musicians. So we're just so thankful to God for that which is coming. I just want to encourage you, keep tuning in, keep joining with us as we continue to expand and grow here at GMFC Studios. We just thank the Lord for this opportunity again. I want to remind you also, last week I gave you an announcement in reference to uh, the summit that's coming up, um, Healing Columbus, uh, um, down on Brentnell, uh, 8 a.m. to uh, uh, 4 p.m., I believe it was, um, uh, be given, or the keynote speaker is uh, Dr. Uh, Robert Clark. He's the safety director for the city of Columbus, and his desire is to heal uh, the city of Columbus, to lead us in a discussion um, about how to recover, how to deal with and to recover from trauma. So I encourage you, please uh, look that up on uh, Facebook. There's a registration. Everything's on there. You can just search Healing Columbus um, or you can search for Robert Clark and that information will be made available to you. Again, I encourage you, please take part. Be a part of the conversation so you can be a part of the solution uh, to help heal this city. This city is in dire need of healing and restoration. Now, I believe by the grace of God, that healing can only come to the city of Columbus through the power of God's people working together. And this is a step in that direction. Amen. So I encourage you to come together and join with him. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly behind uh, this endeavor. Um, I don't want to be before you long today. I just want to share with you what God has given me to share with you. Um, again, we're still um, developing the studio. We're still doing some things here, um, and, and we're really excited about the open doors and the opportunities and the favor that God has shown us in this uh, ability to reach you. This is the first Sunday that we have been able to now stream, not just on Facebook, but on all of our media platforms, and we're just thankful to the Lord for that. We're back on Roku at the GMFC television studios. Our station is back up and running and live, and you'll be able to uh, look for previous sermons and services. Uh, there's a um, way to do that on Roku. Just search for Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center if you have a Roku streaming device, and um, it'll allow you to add our page free of charge. There is no cost to you whatsoever. Uh, except for your purchase of uh, your, the Roku device or Roku television. We're back on our YouTube. GMF Studios is live 
on YouTube and streaming even now. And we're thankful for that opportunity again to reach more people for Christ. And of course, we're live here on Facebook as well and on the website, Grace and Mercy. Uh, fc.com you can always go to our website no matter where you're at you'll have the ability to watch live services watch pre-recorded services we will be sharing on the website uh, little excerpts as we begin to develop uh, coffee with the bishop um, and from the desk of the bishop two different segments where we will uh, talk about some things and uh, release them there'll be more of a pre-recorded uh, again as we continue to develop and grow uh, so I encourage you uh, to be looking out for that, um, but I'm just excited. All the platforms are back up and running. The podcast uh, through uh, Apple is back up and running. It is streaming live right now uh, as well, and we're excited about that. If you haven't had the opportunity to add us, just search for Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center uh, through Apple's podcast, and you'll see uh, us come up, and you can add us to uh, your favorites and then be able to do that. I encourage you, if you join on Facebook, make a comment, give a, you know, say something so that we know that you're there. If you need prayer, make that request and we will pray for you. We will reach out. If you give us the ability to reach back out to you, we will do that. So I encourage you to do that. Um, also, if you're on uh, the YouTube channel, I encourage you, uh, if you could, give it a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. Uh, that enhances our ability to reach more people. The more uh, viewers or subscribers that we have on YouTube, the greater our reach. There is no cost to you. We do not um, you know, put any cost back on uh, anybody. So uh, it's all free to you. We want to share with you the word of God in every um, ability that we can. And as new technologies become available, I'm a tech guy. So believe me, I will be trying to reach you in that form or fashion too. Uh, I understand that they are developing glasses right now that you can wear that will translate. It's um, a uh, type of translator. So I could be speaking to you in English and whatever your native language is, it will um, take that information and put it on the glasses before you so you'll be able to read what I'm saying. And I'm looking forward to that technology becoming more available to the public, but that's something to look forward to so you'll be able to understand me in every language, amen? amen. And, and we are working, again, towards the ability to have subtitles that will come and will be broadcast. I know Facebook is doing it right now. Um, they do it for us when you mute. It automatically will uh, transcribe what we're saying uh, in the English format. Um, if you have Facebook set up to another language, it will transcribe it into your uh, uh, native language, uh, the language that you're comfortable with speaking. So we'll be able to minister to you um, in every way in which you can understand and receive. Understand that God is making this possible. Why? Because everyone has the opportunity to receive the love that he wants to give to you. And he wants no barriers in place to prevent you from seeing, hearing, or receiving his love. That's also a sign, people of God, that he is quick to return. His return is very soon. We don't have time. We don't have time to take chances. Today is the day that you can change the rest of your life and your eternal destination. 
So I encourage you tune in with me. Buckle up. We're going to go on a, a, on a journey here in the Word of God. Um, if you've noticed anything about life, life seems to be pretty crazy. Um, it seems like things are way out of control. And oftentimes, um, as much as you try to control things in your life, uh, as you listen to the reason uh, or the reasoning uh, in the secular world, uh, there's a concept that control is just an illusion. No one really has control. While that may be true to a degree, I'm here to tell you something about the Word of God. I'm here to share something with you that will give you a different way to look at control. You see, control really boils down to authority. It boils down to authority. And oftentimes we don't really understand the authority that we have, the authority that we've been given, or how to function in that authority. You see, how I apply scripture to life is very essential if I'm going to be successful while dealing with everything that life throws at me. If you live long enough, you will find that life can be both cruel and unforgiving, Amen. even as it can be kind and very rewarding. And as I begin to talk to you today, I want to focus on what is most common in the way we respond to everything that life throws at us. Many in the body of Christ see themselves within the framework of uh, this process. And I'm going to give you an order of, of how we engage life and, and show you how as you're, you're uh, in many cases, subconsciously using this process to uh, help you engage life. And the process basically works in this framework. Your feelings, which then determine your actions, which in turn determine your identity. This is the process by which we typically engage life. Now think about that for a minute. This is the process that many of us use uh, consciously and then most often subconsciously. We don't even realize this is what we're doing, but we're still engaging the things that life throws our way, feelings, which then determines behavior, which then brings identity. Your feelings are what's governing your behavior, which is then determining your identity. Now, when we learn to fully apply the word of life, the word of God to our lives, we can change this natural or what I like to refer to as carnal process of life engagement. There is a carnal process of life engagement that we, that I just described to you, that we do all the time. Now, the process of a believer, someone who's place their faith and their trust in God, better yet, the order of how a believer engages life should be our identity in Christ, then determines our behavior or our actions, which then determines our feelings. You see, the order is different. It's not feelings, behavior, identity. It's identity determines behavior which establishes your emotional impact or how you feel, how 
you allow life to cause you to feel. One of the things about my uh, sister Leah that sometimes frustrates uh, people is at times when things are bad, she can be extremely bubbly. And sometimes this frustrates people because people look at her and they know the story, they know what she's going through, they know what she's dealing with, yet they expect as they engage life and the crisis of life, her to see it kind of the same way. And when it doesn't, it frustrates them because they cannot comprehend how in the world can you be bubbly, laugh, giddy, and everything when it seems like the world is falling around uh, around you. And oftentimes you could ask her, she couldn't even explain to you why. But the closer to God you get, the more open you are to hearing and receiving the word of God, the process of life engagement changes and it opens up a door for you to exercise authority over life instead of being subjected to the authority in life. You see, the natural definition, or actually what I'm talking about is resilience. And the natural definition of uh, resilience is the ability to bounce back to our original state of being after an incident takes place. So how fast basically you recover to what is normal, uh, the normal course of your life or, or you know, the normal things for you. The problem with, the, and, and there is a problem with this philosophy, because it, it sounds good. Um, when you talk to psychologists, the, the whole idea is to build a baseline to get you back to that baseline. They have techniques and, and methods, and um, I've gone through a lot of trauma training and a lot of uh, critical incident training uh, in my life, and a lot of it is geared towards first getting people to recognize that the incident that took place in their life is abnormal. This is an abnormal um, incident. It's not what's normal. So your reaction to this abnormal thing, while it appears to be abnormal, is actually normal because of the abnormal experience, which allows your abnormal response not to take control over your life. So then you begin to develop methods to bring your response from being abnormal back into a baseline or what is normal. And then there are healthy ways to do that, and then there are unhealthy ways to do that. Uh, an idea, um, people who uh, experience trauma and, um, uh, you know, they try to deal with that trauma. Some people will uh, drink their way out of it. They've had an abnormal event and they're using an unhealthy means to bring about some level of normalcy in their life. But this is the problem. And, and I, I share this with you because I want you to understand why it is sometimes, even when you're doing everything that you know to do, it seems like the trouble doesn't go away. It seems like you still have no sense of control, and it seems like you're just broken and, gonna, and are going to remain broken. You see, the problem with this philosophy is that every time you go through something, it alters your state of being. And this is important for you to understand. You cannot experience anything in life that it does not alter your state of being. And your state of being is connected to your thinking and your behavior. 
You see, it's impossible to return to the state where you were considered normal before you encountered an incident because every incident in life influences you as it reveals knowledge to you that you once did not have, which now changes how you impact life itself. Everything in life creates new pathways in your brain which affects how you see and how you are going to respond to stimuli. And oftentimes you may even make the, the statement, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, or fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. I won't let you fool me the second time. Why? Because now I have experience that, is, that has an impact and is now influencing my new normal. Every incident brings a new level of normal. While you're trying to get back to an old level of normal, which now is no longer normal for you because you have new information. And that information is ingraining itself in your thinking. That information is molding pathways of protection molding pathways of emotional development, emotional processing. It's, it's developing things in you to cause you to begin to think and to feel a certain way when something similar happens so you can respond differently. Now, as believers, being resilient means that we have an ability to move through life no matter what obstacles may come our way or what the enemy uh, or, or the forces of darkness may put in our way. We are able to overcome because we are in Christ, okay? We are in Christ who overcame, and because he overcame, he causes us, because we are in him, to become more than conquerors. You see, this is how the process is being shifted. Uh, as I identified, um, you know, as I initially started today from uh, the former way or the latter way uh, of thinking to a way that identifies you in Christ being greater than being identified in your emotions. You see, a, ment a, a mentality shift from the kingdom of this world or the processes of your carnal nature to the kingdom of God or to the process of spiritually being developed by the knowledge of who you are in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Let, let, me, let me put the word on it. Let me, let me just put the word on it. Turn with me in the word of God to the book of Colossians. I'm going to really try today not to get too excited. I don't want to put you to sleep, but I want you to learn something today. I don't want you to be captivated by my style. I want you to be captivated by the content of my speech. Colossians, the first chapter, the 15th through the 20th verse, it says this. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, 
And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. You see, in the book of Colossians, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. And although he uses slightly different words, he says the same things that he has said to the Ephesians about God's plan of redemption. He doesn't preach a new or a different message to the Colossians from that which he preached to the Ephesians. In the second chapter, we see that uh, Christ was quickened by God the Father, Colossians 2, 12 through 15, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead, and uh, you being dead in your sin, and uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and it took us out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing uh, over them in it. So now, verse 12 says that we were raised with Christ. Through, through the faith of the operation of God. So notice, it's the Father who does the work. It is God who has done the work. Amen. Now, verse 13 tells us that God not only quickened us at the same time, he quickened Christ, but he also forgave us our sins. And we talked at length last week about sin, the power of sin, and our ability to overcome sin through the power of Christ. So when Jesus the righteous yielded to death, the bond of the law against us was paid. So the Father then blots out all broken law and all broken commandment which stood between he and us. Everything that violated our relationship with him was satisfied by Christ. He nailed this canceled bond to his son on the cross. What was owed was nailed. I was watching a TV show yesterday that my uh, sister Leanna had me watching. And there was a thing that somebody uh, said uh, in it that struck me funny about today's sermon. There's a king in this uh, show and then there's a, um, say, the main cast character, and he's trying, the king is trying to get him kind of under his thumb. So he uses some crafty wisdom, and he puts, him, puts this other character into a place where uh, he, the person thinks that they're being blessed, when in actuality, actually a weight is being hung around their neck tying them to the king without the ability to really get free. You see, the king made him think that he was giving him possessions through a marriage when in actuality there was no possession, there was only debt that was owed. But the amazing thing about it and the thing that struck me funny was the king, with the utterance of a few words, could wipe the debt clean. Wouldn't even have to pay it. He could just say the debt is clear and that debt would go away. And it made me think about today's sermon because 
Jesus, your debt was nailed to him on the cross and your debt is forgiven. Now, if there's anything that should make you jump and shout, the very things that you're struggling with, the very things that you feel guilty about, the very things that you are allowing condemnation to govern your thinking, those very things have been forgiven or nailed to Jesus on the cross. And because they're nailed to him, they're blotted out of existence. So Paul is saying here in Colossians that it was God who formed the plan of redemption, this great plan of our salvation. It was God who raised Jesus from the dead. It was God who gave him a name that's above every other name. And it was God who spoiled the demonic principalities and powers who oppressed or opposed, rather, the resurrection of Christ. They did not want Jesus to get up. They opposed it. And God made a show openly of his power over them. You see, the power of sin is death. And not just natural death, but death in every degree. So then death becomes the penalty for sin. Therefore, when Christ bore the world's guilt on the cross, every satanic power of the air sought to exercise their right and hold him under their power. If death, our enemy, is trying to hold because of sin, which is the penalty... And Jesus frees us from their authority or their right to control us. Amen. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that Satan had the power of death, but Jesus conquered him. Revelations 1 and 18. I know you're going, where does it say that? So here it is, Revelations 1 and 18. Check the text. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. amen, amen. And had the keys of hell and death. Amen. Now, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Amen. If you have a problem with that, take it up with Jesus. Well, the demons had a problem with it. They tried to take it up with Jesus, and guess what? Well, there you go. Jesus Christ took the keys from the devil. Glory to God. Amen. Now, keys belong to the authorized one. Not everyone has a key to your house. True. Only the people for which you give authority to enter your house have keys to your house. And when you think someone may have the ability to enter your house with keys, which signifies authority to enter, you change your locks. If you don't know if everyone that you want to have to have keys has keys and people you don't want to have keys have keys, you just change the lock. And you give new keys, which signifies new authority to those people to enter your home. The authority of life and death was secured by Christ when he was resurrected. He went and had a meeting with the devil and took the keys back from him. Well. Now, we have to remember that physical death is not of God. Physical death is of the enemy. 
death is still the enemy. Now, the Bible says it is the last enemy that will be put underfoot. Thank God that day is coming. But you don't have your new body yet. You'll meet people who may believe they're going to live forever down here in the flesh, but notice that that never seems to happen. As a matter of fact, it seems like the older we get in humanity, the younger we seem to be dying. Now the new old is 60s and 70s, and people that live beyond that are looked at as, wow, you've really lived a long time. But maybe 30, 40 years ago, it wasn't that way. You had a whole lot of people in the 80s and 90s. But things change. Your body has to be changed. You cannot nor will you live forever in your present body. The Bible tells us this. It says that your body is going to be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the bodies of us who are alive in Christ will be changed and become immortal. And until then, we only have limited power over physical death. There are only some things that we can do to extend our natural existence. Now, after stripping the demonic powers of the, of the authority that had been theirs, Christ, according to the word of God in Colossians 2 and 15, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So Paul's statement here refers to the fact that Christ was elevated above his enemies to the right hand of the Father. And this is a subject that Paul writes about in the book of Ephesians. And I spoke about this triumph last week. Paul is stressing the Father's work in the overthrow of all satanic power and the defense feet of Satan himself. Now, in Ephesians, I've showed you that the Son is seated above these powers and has the authority of the throne of God. But this is precisely where the church world as a whole has failed. You see, it is understood that Jesus Christ is the supreme head of the church, but it has failed to understand that the head is totally dependent upon the body for carrying out the plan. You see, this is why we are seated with Christ in heavenly places and that his exercising authority over the powers of the air has to be through the body. He uses the body to demonstrate his power over the enemy. Who is the body? We are. Who is the church? We are. Now, we can understand as never before what Jesus means when he says, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. That's in Matthew 18 and 18. Check the text. You see, this is using his authority upon the earth to fulfill his will. Jesus is using us to exact his will in the earth. He's, we are exercising his authority to carry things out in the earth. Amen? Amen? 
Now, a few of us get a little glimpse of authority once in a while. Some of us have sort of stumbled upon it and exercised it without even realizing what we were doing. The thing that gets me started studying, uh, that got me started studying along this line was uh, when I asked myself this question. You see, I talk to myself from time to time. And every once in a while, I even answer myself. So some people would say I was crazy. But I asked myself this question. I said, do we have authority that we do not know we have? You see, in my secular employment, I've been given great authority. And in the 28 years of being employed where I am, in service to the city, the authority that I thought I had 28 years ago is not the authority I understand I have after 28 years of service. You see, I've learned that I have more understanding and more knowledge about the authority I truly possess than what I knew or understood when I graduated my training. You see, this pushed me to get a better understanding of the authority than I have in Christ while I am functioning in the earth. Is God revealing more and more to us about who we are in him and how we can engage life through that identity so that we can exercise in fullness his authority working through us? So I begin to study this authority that we have with an uh, in, in intensity like I've never had before. And I found that we do have authority. Praise God. But I also found that heaven backs us up on what we refuse and it backs us up on what we allow. You see, we've allowed a lot of things, but we just haven't exercised our authority. That's why things are as they are many times. You see, we haven't done anything about the situation that we're in. We're waiting on God and God is waiting on us. He won't do anything until we act. You see, we're not spectators. We're not sideline players. You ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, you're in the game. Matter of fact, you ought to put that out, post that, tweet that. I'm in the game. I'm a starter. You're a starter in the game of life. Now, some people think that God is a tyrant sitting on his throne holding a giant fly swatter in his hand and the minute you do something wrong, uh, the belief is that he's ready to smack you to smithereens. But that's not really a true picture of our Holy Father. You see, the Lord is hindered in his plans because his body has failed to appreciate the meaning of Christ's exaltation and the fact that we are seated with him at the right hand of the Father. Now, some people will be offended by the fact that I just said God is hindered in his plan. You have to understand, it's not that God cannot, but God has chosen to use his power in the earth through his body. It's not that he can't. The hindrance is not that he, it, it is impossible for him to accomplish anything without us. The, the issue is, is that he has chosen to accomplish things through us. 
We are his expressed image. This is what people just don't understand. They just don't get in, and they get all mad and they want to uh, tag people heretics and all kinds of craziness. Uh, but I'm here to tell you something. From the moment of the inception of the birth of humanity, it was God's intention for man to carry out God in the earth. It was God's desire and plan. That's why he placed his image. I'm getting excited. He put his image on us so that we could carry him out, so that we can be him expressed in creation. This was always his purpose. He filled Adam with wisdom and knowledge and understanding. This is how Adam's able to name animals that were brought to him. He didn't acquire it. He was it. Now, we have a part to play. We have to cooperate with God in faith. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in us when we are born again would guide us into all truth. Now, I heard a story about a preacher who once picked up a Bible and threw it to the floor. He declared he didn't need it because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't need the Bible because you can't follow uh, the Holy Spirit into uh, truth without it, was his thinking. But the Word and the Spirit work in unison with one another. You cannot follow the Holy Spirit into truth apart from the Word. Because the word is the revelation of Jesus. So when you get beyond the written word of God, you're getting out into a place that you do not want to be. So I encourage you to stay in the word. The key to retaining your authority, the key to understanding your authority, the key to the clarity of your authority will only be found in the truth of God's word. You see, the word of God is from the spirit of God. Holy men of old were used as instruments to write it. The word of God, the most important manuscript ever written and given to humanity, but you'll never understand it with your head. You can only understand it with your heart. This is why God does not hide the word in your head. You see, many of us spend a lot of time trying to gain head knowledge of the word and we try to apply what we know in our mind, but because there's no connection in our heart, we lack the ability to properly apply what God has declared. But the Bible declares that it is my word that I've hid in your heart. It is the heart of man that God is concerned with. Now, you have to understand, people, don't put the spirit above the word. Put the word first and the spirit second, and you'll enjoy the ability to operate in both. Now, the enemy, his purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. We know this. We've been taught this. And if you haven't been taught this, let me just share with you right now. The enemy, he has a job to do, and he's very good at his job. His job is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Yes. 
That's what he's come for. This is what the word of God declares to us. He's come to bust you up. He's come to cause havoc in your home, in your finances, in your relationships, in you. Now, God doesn't leave us without the ability to defend ourselves. You know, I often hear people quote the, the scripture, if you're smited on one cheek, turn to your enemy that he might smite you on the other. And they use that with the idea that God has made the people of God weak or put us in a position by which we have no ability to defend ourselves, nor should we even des de uh, desire a defense for ourselves. But that's simply not what the word says. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we are adorned or should be adorned in the armor of God. So God doesn't leave you defenseless, but he dresses you with a defense. Ephesians 6, 10, and 11 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You see, you've heard me teach on uh, the armor before. You know it is vital to living a successful life in the earth, engaging with everything that the enemy is going to toss at you. It's part of our prayer as we fight against uh, who our true enemy is. Now, the believer who puts on this armor and engages in spiritual warfare is a marked target. You see, by spiritual warfare, I simply mean doing the work or the will of Jesus and taking the authority that God has given you over the devil as you go about your daily life. I'm not talking about purposely trying to go head to head with Satan in some kind of prayer combat. I'm talking about as you're engaging life, the purpose of God, the plan of God in you, the, the purpose of redemption was to reconnect you with authority so that you had the ability to be successful and come out on top every time the enemy throws something at you. Every time the enemy does something to disrupt your peace because you are clothed in the armor of God, God has given you the ability to rise to the occasion to come out on top and to tell the devil, I have peace where you take me. I have joy where you take me because God is before me. The devil is going to do everything in his power to keep you from coming into this knowledge of authority because that authority that God has given you is over him. That authority is over him. You see, he'll fight you more than anybody else will. Then after you've come to the knowledge of your authority, he'll oppose everything that you do and he'll try to steal everything from you. And these end up being tests. And sometimes, if I'm going to be honest with you, even believers fail tests Amen. and the devil wants you to throw up your hands and say the authority of the believer doesn't work right. I failed the test so I must not really have the authority that people talk about I, I must not have the authority that the Bible says I have 
because I failed in this test. I, I, I didn't do, uh, I didn't accomplish, I did not possess, I did not win as I thought I would because of the authority I thought I had. Now, we may fail, but God's word never fails. You see, I believe his word is true. Now, the enemy will resist uh, your uh, interference in his sphere because he's exercising authority over the power of the air. And he wants to continue to exercise his authority in his environment. And when you interfere with the kingdom of the devil by exercising your spiritual authority, he comes against you and attacks you in an attempt to get you to back down from using your authority. He can't take your authority, but if he can get you to not use your authority. And this is where a lot of us are. A lot of us are uh, in the church house saints where the only place you see us exercise our authority is when we're running up and down the aisles, giving glory and honor and praise to God. And we're blessing the Lord. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but the problem is, is that once you leave the confines of the church house, you seem like you lose your veracity against the devil. But if you successfully resist the attack of the devil in one area, you'll find that he will come against you in another. So you may as well get ready for the attacks of the enemy because they're coming. And if you haven't experienced them, the closer to God you get, I promise you, you will. You see, Your privileged spiritual position makes you an enemy of the devil. Your privileged spiritual position. Matter of fact, you ought to put that down there. I'm privileged. I was born with a spiritual spoon of gold in my mouth. Because I am a son of God. These are the things you have to identify with. Now, you see, the devil realizes that he can't hold a believer in bondage who knows their authority in Christ. This is why the attack comes in the mind and why God doesn't hide his word in your mind. Because in your mind, the enemy can steal it, but in your heart, he cannot. Now, a believer who is aware that he is seated with Christ in heavenly places and that the devil is a defeated foe under his feet, according to Ephesians 1, 15 uh, through 2, 6, understands how they are greater than the enemy that they face. This believer is convinced that no work of the enemy can prevail against them in carrying out the will of God in the earth. You may come against me and attack me and cause me to feel some kind of way at moments in my life, but you will not stop me carrying out the will of my Father in heaven. Now, you become dangerous when you start adopting this type of attitude, and the enemy will touch everything that he can to knock you off your course. To get you to sit down and shut up and not say anything else. You see, for authority 
to be used, authority must be communicated. Now, if a believer takes advantage of the spiritual armor that's provided for them, the enemy cannot defeat them. And I, I, I don't believe that anything that's of the enemy should be able to defeat those of us who are members of the body of Christ. I believe that uh, because we are in Christ, the enemy is already defeated. I'm not attaining a victory. I'm resting in a victory that has already been attained. This is not a new war that's been fought. It is a historic war that has already been won. Now, the believer, the person who is has faith in God and faith in the word of God has to continually be covered or arrayed in the armor of God. And the Holy Spirit prayed through Paul that the eyes of the people would be open to know this full provision that has been made for their safety. Let me just read it for you. Spiritual armor. Spiritual armor. I know we've talked about this before, but let me just touch on this again because it's really important because this is how you keep your thoughts right. And, I, and I'm getting close to my, my time limit and I, and, and I just want to get a couple more things out to you. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 says, Follow my brother and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So now these different parts of this uh, armor symbolize spiritual truths. They symbolize spiritual truths to help you engage natural life. You see, these truths belong to you. And you have to begin to believe that. What God's word declares is declared over you as an individual. While the word of God is corporate as it ministers to all, it is also intimate as it is designed to also minister solely to you. As much as God's word was written for everyone, God's word was also written only for you. And God wants you to receive what he has spoken as truth over your life. Amen. So now when you wear this armor, you are protected. And if you are protected, you are unhampered in the ministry of authority. Amen. The first thing you have to understand is, is I have a ministry of authority. God has given me a job, and that job is to exercise his authority. And when I say I, I'm talking about I corporate as every believer, not just the preacher, not just the pastor, not just the elder, not just the bishop, not just the apostle, but everybody in the body of Christ has been missioned by God to carry the ministry of authority. Yes. Amen. 
All you need to do, all you need to be concerned with is keeping your armor bright and securely fastened about you. Amen. You see, John McMillan taught that there's the girdle of truth which represents a clear understanding of God's word. And it's like a soldier's belt. It holds the rest of the armor in place. The breastplate of righteousness has a twofold application. Jesus is our righteousness, and we put him on first. And it also shows our obedience to the word of God because we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Third, our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is a faithful ministry proclaiming the word of God to everyone that we meet. Then we have the shield of faith, and the shield is a, is a covering for the entirety of the body. This rep represents our complete safety under the blood of Christ where no power of the enemy can penetrate. Amen. Then we have that helmet, the helmet of salvation, which is referred to in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8 as the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation is the only helmet able to protect the head in these days of turning from the truth. Then there's the word of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And this shows that the word of God is to be used offensively. We're not just defensively postured. We have defense, but our mission is offense. Amen. The other parts of the armor are mainly defensive, but the sword, the word of God, is an active weapon. And if you are dressed in the armor of God, you are prepared to withstand every attack the enemy throws your way. You are prepared to deal with everything that life throws at you. You are ready. I am ready to engage life at its best and life at its worst. God has set me up to be victorious no matter what the crisis is that I face, no matter what I might have to endure, no matter what I may have to go through. It doesn't matter that even even the gates of hell shall not prevail against me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm still triumphant. Think of the things that I've taught you about the armor. You see, some items you wear all the time and other items you need to pick up because they're ready at hand. They are used as circumstances dictate. And I just want to touch on something very important for us to understand because a lack of understanding can cause us to believe that we have no authority. And this is the trick of the enemy. Authority over demon spirits is different than authority over human wills. Amen. And it's important that you understand this. I'll try to get this out as quick as I can, but I want you to understand this because many of us are dealing with things or engaged with things and we think our authority is not working, but we just lack the understanding of our authority and it's being misapplied. Now, without a doubt, we have authority over demon spirits. But we do not have authority over our brothers or sisters or their will. You see, we miss it a lot of times in thinking that we do. We have authority over demons, and we can control them as far as our lives are 
uh, our families are concerned, but we cannot control where other people are concerned because the will of that person comes into play. One of my favorite ministers of the gospel, uh, prolific teacher of the word of God, Kenneth Hagin, I read a story about an encounter that he had, and I want to share this story with you. Uh, this occurred during a church service. And as the story goes, he was ministering to um, people that were sick, and they were uh, standing in line waiting for him to pray for them. And he had an inward intuition. He knew uh, through an inward witness of the Spirit of God that somebody in the line had a demon in them. Now understand, that, that doesn't mean that he was demon-possessed, that that's something entirely indifferent. To be possessed is to be taken over entirely, spirit, soul, and body. You can have a demon in your body or be under the influence of a demon without being possessed by that demon. But that's a whole other lesson in, in, in itself, and I don't have the time today to get into that, and maybe I will soon. But as Pastor Hagen was standing there laying hands on people and praying for them, he kept looking around. And when a certain man stood within four persons of him, he knew the demon was there. Now, he never said anything out loud. You have to realize this. Although the devil does know some things, he's not all-knowing. He's not omniscient like God is. Because of his psychic powers, you can see that the devil does know some stuff, though. How do I know this? Fortune tellers do predict events that do come to pass. So this shows us that the devil even knows some of our thoughts. How do we know this? Because mind readers often can read your mind and tell you what you're thinking. And they don't have to do that by the power of themselves. They do that through the power of the enemy. Now, as the story goes... Before this man stepped in front of Pastor Hagen, he thought to himself, I'm going to cast that thing out of him. Now, most of us, especially those that are a little bolder in Christ, you know, we look forward to that engagement where we can cast the devil out of somebody. But Pastor Hagen didn't say anything out loud. He just thought it. And when the person with the demonic influence stepped up in place before Pastor Hagen could say anything, that person spoke up. But it wasn't the person who was actually speaking. It was the demon speaking through him. And with a whining, high-pitched, nasally voice, he declared, you can't cast me out. You can't cast me out. You can't cast me out. And Pastor Hagen responded, yes, I can in the name of Jesus. Then the demon said, no, you can't. This man wants me to stay. And if he wants me to stay, I can. Then Pastor Hagen responded, you're right. And he didn't pray for this person. Now, many of us may be confronted with people and we know we have authority over the devil but we do not have authority over people. Amen. And if the person does not want to be free, you don't have the authority to free them. Well, 
As the story goes, several days later, Pastor Hagen saw this person on the street and stopped him, and he engaged this uh, gentleman in conversation. Uh, he wasn't crazy. You know, he had all of his mental faculties, and uh, Pastor Hagen talked to him, and he found out what kind of spirit that this person had. It was a religious spirit. Now, people need to know that there are such spirits in existence. They make people act very religious. Actually, this person had three evil spirits in them, the others were a deceiving spirit and a lying spirit, as the story is told. But this person believed in a mixture of some Bible along with Eastern religions, and uh, he leaned more toward the Eastern religions. And Pastor Hagen talked to this person about his beliefs, and uh, Pastor Hagen said, those beliefs are not scriptural. They're not according to the New Testament. And the person replies back, Bible or no Bible, I like it this way, and I'm going to stay with it. Now, Pastor Hagen said this, anytime you want to get rid of those devils, come to see, come see me. But as long as you want it that way, that's the way it's going to be. Now, that person replied, well, then that's the way I want it. What am I talking about? I'm talking about free will. I'm talking about the power of your will. You see, this is one of the things that frustrates me about people. Even in the face of freedom, we often are stubborn and we choose to remain bound. We choose. It's a choice that we make. Sometimes you just got to walk off and leave people when they want it that way. If that's the way you want it, enjoy it. You see, if people want to live in sin, then they have the right to live in it. I can't make you not live in sin. I can tell you the consequences of sin. I can tell you the power you have over sin through Christ. But if sin is what you want, now, if you want to be free, I can tell you that you can be free. But as long as you don't want to be free, Jesus nor nobody else can set you free. You see, you can't go around promiscuously exercising authority over the devil that's living with or in somebody else. You've got authority over your life and within your family, but you can't cast the devil out of everyone you meet on the street, even if they do have the devil in them because they have authority over their own lives. And when people want help, you can help them. But if they don't want your help, sometimes you got to shake the dust off your sandals and get to stepping. Amen. Amen. Now, let me point something out to you here. You see, we try to exercise authority and we get frustrated and we get frustrated because when we've declared in the name of Jesus, demon come out or come off or, or be gone or get away or hocus pocus or whatever comes out your mouth in the moment and nothing happens, you get mad, but then you start worrying or questioning whether you have authority over the enemy in you. Let me, let, me, let me point something out to you here. You, you, you don't just exercise spiritual authority on behalf of other people per se. You've got to have the manifestation of the spirit of God. That's why many people are failing. They're trying to deal with spirits without the word of knowledge, discerning of spirits or any unction of the Holy Ghost. Now, there's a great example of this in the word of God. There was a girl that was possessed with a spirit of divination. 
She followed Paul and Silas according to the word of God in the book of Acts, the 16th chapter, while they were in Philippi. As the Bible declares in the 18th uh, verse of the 16th chapter, for many days she followed them, saying, these men are the servants of the Most High. That was in verse 17. Do you know why Paul didn't deal with that spirit the first day? Why didn't Paul, an apostle of God, a man of God, the anointed vessel of God, a man of great authority, the most prolific writer of God's word, just take authority over that evil spirit the first day she showed up? Well, he didn't because he needed to wait for the manifestation of the Spirit of God. He had to wait until the Spirit of God gave him discerning of spirit. You see, you can run the devil away from you or your house anytime you choose. But if a person is on your premises, you also have authority over them while they're in your environment. But when you get away from where your domain is, the evil spirit has the right to be there because Satan is still the God of this world world so it's often more about what environment you are in rather than your spiritual prowess let me give you a natural example of what I'm talking about when Floyd Mayweather arguably uh, maybe one of the um, you know best boxers uh, ever I think he's the only undefeated boxer that's gone through his career and never lost when he decided one day that he was going to fight a UFC fighter after his retirement, all about money, Mayweather was extremely smart. How was he smart? He was smart because he crafted the rules so that the fight would be fought within the environment where he was extremely successful. You see, a boxing ring has boxing rules. A UFC ring has different rules. They have rules that are governed by the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting uh, Championship. Now, if you're in a boxing ring, you have to follow the rules of boxing. So this would give him an advantage, but if they could have fought using UFC rules, Mayweather would have most likely lost because he was out of his environment and could not function fully in his element. See, this is the reason Paul had to wait many days to deliver the demon-possessed girl. He didn't command that spirit to leave her the first day she began following him. He waited, and when the right time came within the proper environment, he spoke to that spirit, and it came out uh, of her at his declared word. You have to understand, you cannot move before God gives you the urge to move. Oftentimes, we're really quick to do something and then blame God when it fails. When God is saying, hold up, I didn't tell you to do anything, but I gave you free will. You had the will to wait for me or you had the will to do it on your own. You chose to do it on your own. Well, if you'd have waited for me, 
You see, the Bible says concerning the ministry of Jesus that he cast spirits out with his word. It also says that he cast them out by the spirit of God. It wasn't just his word speaking apart from the spirit of God. If you read the 12th chapter of Matthew, the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils, in verse 24. And in verse 28, Jesus says, if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you 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 see we know from the word that we have spiritual authority but we must depend upon the holy spirit to help us in ministering our authority we cannot do it by ourselves You see, sometimes believers say that they will try something because it has worked for somebody else. And if they study God's word and clothe themselves in the teaching uh, that they've been given over authority, it will work for them. But if they try to act on God's word without really having that word built up in their spirit, the devil will soundly defeat them. You see, you'll only defeat the devil when you've got a foundation of God's word and you act upon it. The Bible says, speaking of the devil, who resists steadfast in the faith, 1 Peter 5 and 9. So your level of faith is directly related to the degree of God's word that's dwelling in your heart. That is that the word which is reality to you and in which you are daily walking. Let me tell you something. If you can't believe God on some little things, stay away from the devil. I've prayed for people and know that they received healing. I've taught on healing. I've seen the manifestation of God's healing power actually work in an immediate fashion. As a matter of witness, many people have testified that after being uh, prayed for and I laid hands on, on them, they were healed. They felt the healing. They felt the change. The strength was restored. The condition was released. Doctors and medical science proved it. Understand, I'm not boasting about anything here. I'm trying to get you to see something that I've seen in people who I know were healed get sick all over again. And it would frustrate me to no end. And I wondered about it. And I asked God about it. Why do people lose their healing? Why do people lose their deliverance? Do we not have the power to stay healed? Do we not have the power, the authority, the right to stay delivered? You see, when people are in a place where faith is high, where there's a mass of faith or where the gifts of the Spirit are in operation, it's comparatively easy for them to receive healing. And this is what happens in these big meetings. I've seen evidence of it happen in services and convocations that I've been in and, and seen it with uh, former very anointed men and women of God. The problem I have uh, also seen is that when these very same people get back on their own or in a different environment, the devil comes along with symptoms and the symptoms now dictate what is true for them. You see, the people don't have a foundation of faith in them. 
and the devil puts the same thing back on them. That's the reason you see people get delivered from evil spirits, sickness, addiction, and a host of other things, and the next time you see them, they're right back where they started. I've seen the same people get in the same line for prayer during a service and ask for the same prayer of deliverance or healing, the same thing that they were delivered from in the last service that they were in. Somebody will even say, well, they never then got healed to begin with, and that's simply not the truth. They were healed. They were delivered. They were all right until they got home. Everything was a-okay until about two to three weeks. Then all of a sudden, their healing left as if there's a limitation on God's delivering power. Why did they lose it? Because they don't understand their authority. They didn't know how to hold on to what they possessed. So they didn't try to exercise authority over themselves. Or if they said anything, they said the wrong thing. They spoke their condition right back into existence because we have to understand because of our authority, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Sometimes you speak yourself and because of the authority you have in Christ, you speak a condition into existence. God delivered you and you said, no, 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 God, I have this thing. God said, I took it from you. But I, no, 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 I feel it on the inside and what I know is more true than what you've said. And then I grab back from God what I left at the altar and sometimes I don't even let it stay at the altar. I pick it right up up when I get up from the altar and I throw it back on myself because sometimes I identify with my brokenness when God wants you to identify with your authority I once was broken the Bible says I once was lost but now I'm found Being in the presence of God where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in operation, it's easy to feel delivered, to receive healing. But when you get back on your own, when you're really on your own, this is why people need to be taught the word of God and understand their right and their privilege as a child of God then you could exercise authority for yourself over the devil over your circumstances and over your diseases you have authority over all the authority of the enemy Jesus Met a man that thought it was un, that he thought he was unworthy for Jesus to come to his house, but had a servant that was sick, and he asked Jesus. He said, "Would you pray for my servant that my servant would be well?" And Jesus motioned as if he wanted to come to the house, and the man said, "No." I'm not worthy, but I do understand authority. I do understand that if you but speak it. You see, because I'm a man of authority, I say to this one, do, and they do. I say to this one, go, and they go. 
And I know that if you but declare my servant is well, they will be because I understand authority. And what did Jesus say? He said, great faith. You see, your faith is connected to your authority. Amen. You see, when I tell the devil to leave me alone, I'm not hoping that he goes away. I'm not just throwing out there, get thee behind me, Satan, to see if it works. But when I speak it, I'm speaking it in authority so that I can live out my privilege in God. You have to understand the enemy cannot defeat you. He cannot defeat you unless you give him authority to do so. I am dead, yet Christ liveth in me. The life I now live, I live by the power of Christ. Amen? Amen. So if this be true, and I am dead, and Christ is alive in me, and all power has been made subject to the power of Christ, that every power is beneath me. That means I have the ultimate authority and the final say. That means when I tell the devil to leave me alone, he has no choice but to obey because I understand authority. Will you today begin taking control back over your life by exercising the God-given authority that is alive in you. You today, in this very moment, at this very second of life, are at a crossroads. And you can decide for yourself whether you will live under the thumb of the oppressor or you will live in the power of your freedom through Christ our Lord. You today make that decision. Everything boils down to a choice. You've heard me teach on choice before. Choice is the greatest power that God has ever given you. You have the right and the ability and the grace of God to choose what will happen, how you will engage it, respond to it, deal with it. I'm here to tell you that right now God has given you authority so that everything you deal with, you can come out on top. And if you don't know the Lord, you have the ability right now to get to know him so that you can function in the right authority and be freed from the enslavement of the enemy. I'm speaking to you today about authority because the enemy has been doing things and saying things for which he does not have privilege to do or say. And you've just been taking it. You've just been taking it. It's time 
for you to protest. It's time for you to rise up. Because there is an unholy king trying to live and reign over your life. And you have to decide whether or not you want to remain in the kingdom of darkness, bound by his oppression, or be liberated into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's dear son. And thereby exercise authority over everything in your life through his grace you can do that just right now by saying here I am Lord save me I recognize that without you I'm nothing I recognize your word I am a sinner in need of a savior save me I believe you are the son of God I believe you came you laid your life down. That my sin was nailed to you on the cross. And that now I am righteous because of you. And that one day, even as you arose from the dead, so am I going to arise. I believe in you, Jesus, son of the most high. Holy one of God, the exalted lamb that takes away the sin of the world. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Right now, God has given you full access to authority over every enemy that would ever face you because now you are in the kingdom of his dear son. God bless you. Heaven smile upon you and grant to you great peace. Control is not an illusion when you apply it to the word of God because nothing is out of the control of our Lord and his desire is always for you to prosper. Amen. Have a blessed Sunday and I will see you real soon.